Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Stephen the Warman Writes Kickfighting Podcast Show. I'm your host, Stephen the Warman. You are listening to this podcast in various ways. The most common ways are the blog, which is lordgaul.podbean.com, or you are listening on the iTunes search engine, which is Warman Kickfighting Show. Enter that to your search engine, and the show pops right up. So I'm going to continue the series that I've been doing, just talking about some of the greater kickboxing careers in this this uh uh, the what-ifs in the kickboxing world, people who had big opportunities, who if they could have got the wins, had the opportunity to be of legendary status, and for whatever reason, it just didn't come into play that way. But uh, And today I'm going to focus on Glabe Fiatosa, but I am going to kick this show off with a, a really, really kind of sad story, a heavy heart. Uh, the kickboxing community lost Derek Salvatin, um, who was a... Uh, contributor. He worked for Fight Network. Um, he also was a big part of um, Bazooka Joe Valtellini's team as far as, you know, things that he did for them. And then, of course, towards the end, he worked for Glory Kickboxing. Uh, shout out to Bethany Martinez. She posted a story about how when she first met him, he just said, one day I want to help with Glory in any possible way. And he ended up doing that, you know. So it's just a, um, it is heartbreaking because, you know, uh, in Christianity, the term we use is you never know your hour. You know, you don't know the hour when it's going to happen. But you definitely remember people who took the time and, and um, really, you know, showed appreciation and uh, really loved the sport of kickboxing, loved being a part of it. And Derek was one of those people. You know, I had met Derek before, but I think that the best conversation I had with Derek was one day he asked me because I missed a couple weeks of the podcast because I was so busy with a glory card. One of the particular glory cards, we had a couple people drop out and I was trying to get, you know, worthy replacements and, you know, just kind of doing my best with what I had. And then all of a sudden I see um, uh, Derek and we're talking and then he goes, what's going on with the podcast? And uh, I was like, oh, man, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I just missed a couple of days. I was actually going to record later today. And then uh, he was like, oh, that's really cool, whatever. And then somebody asked, they go, Stephen does a podcast? Uh, I go, yeah. He goes, how do I listen to it? And then Derek says, you could go to his blog, which is lordgaul.podbean.com, or you could go to the iTunes search engine. And I fell out laughing because it was the same intro I had until I got connected with TJ DeSantis and the guys at Between Rounds Radio. It's my same intro that I had for you know, gears, you know, uh, I, I think I got on iTunes in 2012, maybe. So I've been saying it for that long. So I laughed when he said, that. I was like, dude, you really do listen to a podcast if you remember the intro. So even as I say this, I've got a smile on my face. So I'll definitely remember Derek fondly, uh, heartbroken that this happened. You know, I don't have the details. Uh, I just know that, you know, uh, I'm not the only one in this, this world, this period of time that have been losing people. And, um, uh, it's uh, a loss to the kickboxing community. Uh, no matter how it happened, um, I will miss him. You know, big smile, fun to be around. Just uh, uh, definitely, definitely miss it. You know, I, I'll miss him, and I uh, uh, grateful for his service to kickboxing, and uh, and I'm grateful to see all the kind words that people had online about him. Because in the end, you know, uh, I don't know if everybody shares. You know, we all share different faiths, and of course, I come from a Christian perspective as far as how I live my life and and my dedication to Christ. But we all share in memories, and the way someone like rest in your heart based off of how they lived their life and how it reflected upon you uh, definitely shows up. And by the sounds of the replies that people did for Derek, uh, he he did a great job of making those who were around him 
love them and like them and want to be around them. So uh, thank you, Derek. Uh, and um, I'm so glad that I got to meet you. Going to go ahead and segue here into the kickboxing career of Glabe Fiatosa. Um, Glabe Fiatosa is one of the premier, premier, say, Kyokushin uh, karate style fighters. Uh, he has done something that will last in the history of kickboxing forever. So, for example, I talked to people before about this. The person that, you know, um, uh, for example, the Shahid El Haj, I talked about his fight. And the thing with Shahid, which is extremely, extremely important to understand about Shahid, is no matter what, his career ended up being at the end. Without question, and I mean without question, he'll be remembered for all time because he's in probably the best kickboxing match ever in his battle with with uh, Mike Zambides. So even though he didn't have a legendary career, he had a legendary fight. And if there's a Hall of Fame, he's in there. So like Mickey Ward and Arturo Gatti, Mickey Ward did not have a legendary career, but he had a legendary fight. And uh, he will, you know, had a legendary series. So his three fights with Arturo Gatti have him in the Hall of Fame because of that fight. Like that's remembered. So in that way, Shahid and Mike Zambides will, in, will be in. In that way, Glabe Fiatosa will be in, in some form or fashion, will be remembered in kickboxing forever because he is the most violent with the Brazilian kick in the world. Nobody has it down like him. Nobody executes it like him. Like, like there, I've seen it come over. So he didn't invent the kick. So a lot of people have, you know, because he's so good at it, they, they think that he invented the kick. He didn't invent the kick. So it's been in Kyokushin for a while and people have been using it. But normally when they score it, because you're snapping the knee down, uh, when I look at a Francisco Filho, for example, when Francisco scored it, it was a slap. You know, it came across, scored well, made noise, looked cool, um, but it didn't really land with, like, conviction. The moment we got, you know, Fiatosa out there killing guys with that kick, just absolutely, I think... Um, uh, Tsuyoshi uh, Nakasaka, Nakasaka was the first one to really get it, uh, and then Tao really got it. Left leg, he likes to do it with the lead leg. Um, those guys, those particular KOs, let people realize just how violent that kick can be, and it can be violent. And uh, I thought they did a his career and uh, how people look on it. They will remember the KOs. They'll remember the moments. Uh, but like uh, more, to, the most important thing I'd say is you will always remember the Brazilian kick. But unfortunately, the other thing that happened in his career is the same thing that that happened in Musashi. He got pushed against high-level guys really, really fast. So he goes right from the karate scene to competing against some of the best in the world. And I don't necessarily think it was fair to him. You know what I'm saying? I think it's it's uh, something that is... High level, like, you know, opposition comes because of the makeup of what kickboxing was at the time. Uh, if you look at Andy Hoog, Kyoko Shingai, thrown right in there. Uh, Francisco Filho, Kyoko Shingai, thrown right in there against elite guys. Uh, Filho had a great start, you know what I'm saying? Hoog had a rough start. But to take the time and get down the kickboxing, get the boxing, I think it is something that I would have liked Fiatosa to have the opportunity to do, which makes me wonder what would have happened if he had it. But it just wasn't the nature of how kickboxing was at that time. In their minds, he had this huge, great Kyoko Shin background. He went against a lot of the best guys. He was able to play punches and low kicks with them, even though the punches weren't to the head. 
So they always rush you. They put you right in there against the league guys. And I think Labe probably wanted to. You know what I'm saying? Are you kidding me? Go to Japan. And uh, he had been out there before, of course, for Kyokushin. But fight the best in the world? I'll give it a shot. And they give him Mike Bernardo first. That's his first fight. So Mike Bernardo, who is probably the Kyokushin assassin, they go ahead and put him in there. And uh, he loses by TKO in round one to Mike Bernardo. No shame there. But it's what happened with Andy Hoog. Andy Hoog didn't get Bernardo, you know, first. But he got him a lot. And Bernardo had way... Bernardo's got more wins, you know, he's got the win in that this, that series, he's got the, uh, I think he started off three KO wins before um, who got the opportunity later, and then who, of course, had the, the Pat Smith loss early, so he had a rough start as a Kyokushin fighter, just like some other Kyokushin fighters. Next fight he had, Masaki Satake, loses a majority decision, and, you know, Masaki is a talented guy, and... Uh, underrated when we look at the history of kickboxing. I tell you his story all the time because I truly believe there would be no K1 if there wasn't for him. But, um, you know, loses there. Loses to Andy Hoog, you know, a five-rounder. No shame there. Then he gets his first win, George Randolph. Then, you know, he, you know we're thinking we're going to build on this. He goes against a guy who's not because he's in a tournament. Uh, goes against Tomas uh, Kocherazewski, who I only seen fight a few times. Uh, Tomas got the victory, a uh, Canadian guy. I, I, outside of this tournament, I didn't see him fight that much. Then he gets Mirko Krokop, and you look at this, and you see Mirko, you see Hoog, you see Satake, you see Bernardo. What a rough start. That is how he started his career, rough start. George Randolph, huge guy, was able to get the victory over him. But overall, uh, that, you know, six fights with one win has a lot to do with who he fought. So then we get the first look, as I mentioned before, to Siyokshi. Uh, Nakasako, that is a left, uh, the left of Brazilian kick, you know, for the win. That's what got that started. Then he gets Mike Bernardo. Then he gets Musashi. Then he gets Martin Holm. Then he gets Peter Arts. Rough stretch. The, he's getting elite, elite guys right off the gate. It's tough to get your feet under you when you get that. You know, Holm was, you know, showed a lot of great kickboxing skill, um, you know, before injuries and then of course the depression i've talked about martin home before martin home was important to me as a kickboxer because when i got into this game around this time me and martin weighed the same so we were both 6'2 217 and i was like how am i gonna fight with these bigger guys and then i seen martin do it you know he's a southpaw so we had a different style but seeing him helped me with me you know with my confidence against going against bigger guys home was legit sashi was legit that was a draw i should mention uh you know he had some legit opposition really really early then he gets an opportunity to get a win against the Pavel Mayer who was a solid kickboxer huge guy uh solid kickboxer good win there so shout out to uh you know him and the things that you know that that was the, the first big win I'd say of his career was Pavel Mayer gets a victory over Alistair Overing in a kickboxing match Alistair much smaller at this time but uh in a Kyokushin versus K1 2004 uh they had you know how K1 did those events Left hook stopped Alistair Overing. Then he gets the the Brazilian kick over Tao, as I mentioned before. Then he goes against uh, Ernesto Hoos. No shame there. Then he picks up steam a little bit. And notice the names that he gets. Chet Congo. You guys have heard that name before. He had a good run in the UFC. A good run in Bellator as well. Made some good money in his fight career. Dewey Cooper in the tournament. Carter Williams in a tournament. And Gary Goodrich in a tournament. That level of guy allowed him to develop the skill that it would take to be better down the road. 
it is so important that he had this. You know, it's it's huge because without this, it's just he's going against killer after killer after killer. Then finally they slow it down and they say, hey, we'll give you some guys who are probably a little bit more manageable. Now at this time, Carter Williams was still the favorite to win a lot of the U.S. stuff. He showed a lot of potential. He'll We'll be doing an episode on him one day. But like um, he showed good kickboxing skill, good kickboxing talent and power. So Carter was a good 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 you know victory. Dewey Cooper, of course, had the hit and run style as far as his kickboxing because he wasn't the biggest guy, but he was able to get big offense on Dewey despite the movement. He's able to get Carter, and then of course Gary Goodrich is always you know he just found some guys that he could slug with. He's able to you know get you know some knockout knockdowns and knockouts to get himself to the final, and he ran into a unformed, very very mean. Uh, Glabe Fitoza, and then again, he gets caught with a Brazilian kick. Smooth, smooth uh, tournament victory for him, but it's four fights that helped him develop his brand. Then he gets Semi Shell, no shame there. Semi, of course, went on to be one of the all-time greats. Goes back to getting Gary Goodrich, gets the victory there. Then gets a Masasi fight, gets the victory there. So I look at this, and because uh, he was a reserve for that tournament. So he loses his shield, gets in, gets beats Gary in a reserve, beats Masashi when he gets thrown into the tournament. Very mean knee KO there, should be mentioned. Um, so he gets Masashi. Then he gets semi-shelf in the final, and he loses by knee KO. But he was able to get to the K-1 World Grand Prix final after all the things that he went through in the start of his career. Very similar to Masashi, because Musashi uh, had the you know the early start against pretty high opposition, and it took him a little bit to to get the feel. And then finally he makes it. He gets the victory over Seffel, gets the victory over Arts, and then he uh, loses to Bonjowski. But he's able to make it to the final, you know. And then the following year he gets another victory over Seffel, gets Goblag and Norrison just because of how the tournament bracket worked out. And then he gets another shot at Remy, and it just didn't happen. He wasn't able to beat Remy. They went five rounds that time, but uh, he really did do a good job of competing, you know, against uh, high-level guys, despite the start that he had. You just couldn't have a tougher start than he had. So, Glabe Fitoza was able to accomplish the same thing, a karate-style guy who was thrown in there against elite dudes and all had to figure it out on the fly. So, and the on-the-fly, I should mention, is his debut was in 1998. We're in 2005 that I'm talking about all this. So, gets there, and then somehow, this guy... Gets to opposition that's like just below the elite guys, and it helps to show his talent again. So he gets a you know um, uh, Musashi fight again, wins in a uh, single fight. Gets a fight with uh, Paul Solwinski, and that was in the uh, opening round of the K1, the uh, uh, I think the elimination round of K1 in 2006. Then he gets Ruslan Karev, and then he loses to Peter Arts. No shame there. Then he loses to Roman Bunjowski. Then he gets a victory over Shahid Araba is another step back. So Karev, Swanski, uh, Shalit Arab, those guys are kind of in the same place. Peter Arts, Rembrandt Bonjowski, Semi Shelt again. My goodness, this is the third time he's fought Shemi in, you know, what, a year, year and a half? So, like, that is a rough, rough, you know, tournament go. But he was able to get to the tournament final. Again in 2007, just because that's kind of how the the brackets worked, you know. It just he, he it worked out for him to get those opportunities, despite things that had happened earlier in the in the event, you know. Like he, uh, I think, what was it? I can't remember the exact moment, but 
The problem, of course, is he kept running into Simi. And the elite guys on his resume make everything tough. Move forward, he gets Alex Roberts, gets a left hook KO there. That would be, um, he gets one more KO in 2009 over Janichi Sawayoshiki. Uh, uh, Sawayoshi, but other than that, he's got a Badahari loss by KO and Badahari's best performance, in my opinion, uh, for the um, K1 heavyweight tournament or heavyweight champion, which was at 100 kgs. And then also he finishes his career with two losses to Arizona, one in the K1 16 and uh, 2008 and the other in the K1 2009 uh, 16 final. So the same round for both. Despite these losses... Um, we will remember Glabe Fitoza. As I said, the Brazilian kick mattered a lot. But one of the things that I say is if he was able to figure out the offense, figure out the defense, figure out how to sustain and win rounds longer, um, just kickboxing flow. He could find offense here and there, but he never really had. There's not a lot of fights where I was like, okay, he's feeling, he's in his rhythm. You know what I'm saying? Outside of that tournament, I never really felt that. But he was able to get the right guys at the right time, and man, did he have explosive KO power. He could find you and he could hit you. If he could have put it together, could have beat Shields, could have been uh, beat Arts, could have beat Bonjowski, could have beat Zimmerman. What I mean by that is could have doesn't necessarily mean he had the talent to do it or not do it. It means he had the fights. And a lot of people, when they look back on their career, they didn't always have those opportunities. Uh, you look at Patrice Cordron, you look at um, Eunice Almasani. There's a lot of super talented people that didn't get the fights. He got the fights. He had the opportunities. It's just I wonder if he would have been better served if he had a, a kickboxing career before he went into this awesome, awesome, you know, uh, lineup of the best in the world. But I think he had a good run. I think that he, you know, uh, the thing that motivated me to do this is I'm, I'm making these highlights for kickboxing. And as I go through the highlights, I was watching an old, you know, K1, you know, kind of all access thing. And it shows him in the background after he loses to Zimmerman and he's walking. He's just talking about how he's too old for it. And his team's trying to tell him, you know, how uh, if you've ever, I coached, so I'm used to, to doing this where you're trying to be there for someone. And uh, we all do it in different ways. And his team was trying to tell him, dude, you did a great job. You, you, you know, no one could have done what you did. You're out there fighting great. And then he also, you know, just the agony of because he's he's back there with Monster. He's back there uh, with Tashira. And Tashira just won. So they're like sitting next to each other. And you see the contrast. And you see the victory. And you see the agony of defeat all in one picture. That is our game. That is the game of fighting. And it was that sullenness that was on his face. And remembering where he was and how he felt and, and so on. And I go, bro, even though you lost to Arizona here, you really did fight nothing but elite guys for a really, really long time. And anytime you got someone that was your level or starting, you fought well and you just did your best. So going to go ahead and wrap the show up there. I'll be back next week. Uh, I've got a couple options of people that I want to talk about. Um, I really think Glabe had a solid career, got to travel, uh, got to do some good things, learned a lot. Like the sport will learn a lot and remember a lot for him from him. So good stuff from him. And, uh, uh, I know he probably wanted more and he worked hard. It's just, I, would he have been better served if he got a kickboxing career to help him? So time will tell.
All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. God bless. And I look forward to seeing you guys next week with another episode. Everybody have a good one. Peace.